0: Hello, everyone. First of all, I'd love to thank you for tuning in to the Integrative Thoughts Podcast. I am your host, Matt Kaufman, and through this platform, I plan on seeking out guests that interest me, that I am curious about, and overall just living a more meaningful, purposeful life in hopes that you as listeners and I myself can grasp onto a little bit of their knowledge and integrate that into our daily lives. Are you having trouble losing weight? Do you get extreme food cravings, especially at night? What about the inability to lose weight even when you cut calories and do a lot of exercise? I know I fell into this category for pretty much most of my life. It's actually probably not even your fault. You most likely have what's called leptin resistance. Leptin is actually a hormone made by the fat cells that regulates food intake and energy expenditure by communicating with the brain. The more fat you have, the more negative leptin messages are actually being sent to your brain. This creates what's called leptin resistance and is going to sabotage all dieting efforts and causes food cravings even when you have enough fat stored. Introducing Zenith. This is an all-new, completely natural formula that gently decreases leptin levels to restore accurate communication between fat cells in the brain. Zenith contains zero harmful stimulants. It's made of all-natural polysaccharides and acetylated fatty acids, very safe for long-term weight loss plans, and it is made in the USA. In an eight-week University conducted double blind placebo controlled study. Participants lost 21.3 pounds of fat, lost almost four inches off their waistline, and reduced serum leptin levels by 43%. So if you or someone you know, someone you really love is struggling with weight loss, head down to the show notes. I'll have a link there and a few videos where you can learn more information about zenith. So listen, I've been experimenting with different types of minerals, especially magnesium, for the past five to six years. But I could never really find a product that I could feel the benefits that magnesium claimed to give. Magnesium is one of the most important minerals for all of human health. It participates in over 600 different biochemical reactions in the body, yet over 80% of the population is deficient. Magnesium deficiency can increase risk for all disease and greatly decrease optimal performance. That's why I like bi-optimizers. They use all seven forms of magnesium in a highly bioavailable form in their product, Magnesium Breakthrough. Magnesium helps with stress, anxiety, sleep, immune function, detoxification, and so much more. If you want to try out this product, head over to Buy Optimizers and use code IntegrativeThoughts10 to receive a 10% discount on their amazing product, Mag Breakthrough. All right. Today's guest is Matthew, a.k.a. Wiz Buckley. He is an amazing guest, amazing human being. He is an ex-Navy fighter pilot, so I commend him for his work and his time served. He is a chief executive officer over at Top Gun Options, and now what he's working on on the side is his nonprofit, No Fallen Heroes. What they do is they take groups of veterans with PTSD who cannot afford to go to the jungle and try psychedelic therapies, and he takes groups of them with the funding down there to try out Ibogaine and 5-MeO-DMT. So Wiz explains his Ibogaine and 5-MeO-DMT experience on the show for us, because these are medicines that I personally would try, but have not tried at this moment. And from my research, I do think that Ibogaine probably is the best medicine for veterans, Because it is a masculine energy. It is a hard ceremony that brings masculine energy, but it'll break down these troops in the most efficient way, in my opinion. We have really constructed these veterans to be war animals. We train them to kill people. They've seen people be killed. And then we just throw them back into civilization and society and think that everything's just going to be normal. And then when they go to their VA doctors and tell them that they can't function, that they have anxiety, that they can't sleep, we just give them... Sleep medication, psychiatric med, benzos, you know, all the other pharmaceutical bullshit that doesn't really work. So I hope you guys are gonna enjoy this show. Maybe it's a little eye opening around veterans and how they can be healed from psychedelic therapies. Wiz, welcome to the show. How's it going? I'm good, bro. What's shaking? Yeah, man, over here. Um glad you could make it and I'm trying to power through this uh, hurricane that's on the horizon over here on the West coast. You, you, are a little bit more blessed over there. Uh, just probably got sunshine and good, good weather. It is man. God's rating room is a, is
1: good looking today. Boca Raton.
0: <laughs> yeah. It actually doesn't look too bad out there yet. I think it's supposed to come through tonight and then tomorrow might get mm-hmm. the worst of it. So whatever I, I, have um, I ran from the first hurricane when I first moved to Florida and ever since I've kind of bunkered down, but I also don't live in the, uh, like the evacuation zone a I'm kind of yeah. kind of a little bit more inland. So I don't worry about it quite as much as if like I was in South Tampa right by the bay. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. They got, they got destroyed last year. Was it? Yeah. yeah Fort or Myers. That. Yeah. That was mm-hmm. looking like it was coming for us. Cool. I want to jump into your background and kind of growing up and kind of let us know what your childhood looked like and uh, what made you decide to go into the military from there?
1: Yeah, I was born. Uh, my, my family's originally from South Philadelphia. Uh, uh, I'm one of six uh, Irish Catholic kids uh, the upper four were born in South Philadelphia and then my parents moved down to the Jersey Shore uh, the real Jersey Shore not the MTV one um, <laughs> and my, uh, my little sister and I were born so you know stereotypical Irish Catholic family from that area you know very m- religious I was an altar boy you know Catholic school all that good stuff and uh, you know my parents always taught me service uh, above self uh, the, you know, country, greatest country in the world, give something back, all that type of good stuff. And we were kind of, you know, middle, lower middle class type of family. So they were always kind of looking for maybe some potential free uh, education stuff. So I uh, knew I wanted to uh, uh, join the Navy, and then I was always fascinated uh, by aviation. So at, at the youngest memories, I knew I wanted to fly, and I wanted to fly jets uh, for the Navy. The, the guy that I was best friends with, the kid across the street and his dad, flew f106s in the new jersey air national guard so i thought that was the coolest thing in the world that guy was you know larger than life and you know whenever i'd uh, when i went to high school i'd stop at the uh, at the fence at the air national guard base and watch them scramble the fighter jets and stuff so uh, i kind of knew early on that i wanted to serve my country go navy uh, and fly jets too. Uh, you know, I got nominated to the Air Force Academy, but I'm like, come on, man. Anybody can land on a uh, 10,000 foot runway. Why don't we uh, <laughs> try and uh, uh, take that uh, at sea at night in bad weather? So uh, yeah, and then left New Jersey and uh, went to school down in uh, Jacksonville, Jacksonville, Florida, JU, where I met my uh, my beautiful bride, and uh, was NROTC and selected aviation, and then uh, went on over to Pensacola, Florida, the cradle of naval aviation. And, uh, you know, naval aviation is, it's a pyramid, right? Uh, you, you always got to be number one or, or be at the top to get to the next level, because, you know, the Navy's got a lot of helicopters, they got a lot of propeller planes, they got a lot of jets, and then jets that do different missions, right? So, uh, did my best in Pensacola, finished, uh, you know, top of my class, selected jets, and went down to beautiful kingsville texas man i mean <laughs> just outside it, no kid in texas like near the king ranch outside of corpus christi so i selected jets uh, and then as i said navy's got a lot of jets refueling jammers you know attack at the time fighter only um i'm old enough when guys were still selecting a6s or tomcats right and those things are all in the boneyards right now so studied my ass off tried as hard as I could, and, uh, fortunately got selected uh, for F-18s uh, and was stationed on the West Coast. Uh, I was out in Lemoore, California, another garden spot. I thought I left Kingsville, Texas, and you know, two days later of driving, got back to Kingsville, Texas. They just changed the sign. Uh, I mean, Lemoore, California is you know an hour south of Fresno, and it ain't it ain't a garden spot either. So. Uh, <laughs> Lived in Lemoore and uh, did two uh, deployments to uh, the Persian Gulf uh, in support of Operation Southern Watch. So flew some combat sorties over southern uh, Iraq and uh, did a rim pack in between that. So that was like a two or three month cruise Uh, after my sea tour. Uh, And those cruises, I got selected to be an instructor down at the Marine uh, F-18 training squadron, which is a great payback. So I'm old enough that I was based at El Toro Marine Corps Air Station before they closed it. And then we moved down to Miramar. Uh, And that was great where my oldest son was born. And then I got out Uh, in 2000. I got out like a, you know, lemming. I wanted to go be a rich airline pilot, but I won the lottery literally by doing that because I got hired. Uh, i got picked up by a uh, reserve squadron at naval air station fort worth so i ended up uh th- that was a lottery ticket back in the day was you know getting hired to be a rich airline pilot and uh, getting to fly fighters on the weekend so i thought i had it made and uh, i went to fedex initially uh, for about 10 months and i was miserable hated <laughs> fedex you know you driving trucks med- <clears throat> no man <laughs> driving airplanes uh, uh you know showing up at memphis at midnight and flying until eight in the morning and trying to sleep during the day just did not and i was young i was in you know early 30s and i was like nah this ain't for me and most of the guys when i was living in fort worth most of the guys in my reserve squadron were american airlines pilots because you know dfw's the, the headquarters and i remember one day getting back from my from a fedex trip and i couldn't even remember what time zone i'm in i'm like falling asleep in the ready room And one of my buddies, you know, gives me a cell phone and he's like, Hey man, I'm, you know, I'm going to do a dogfight. Uh, if crew scheduling calls from American airlines, tell them you're me and you'll be there in a couple hours. I'm like, are you kidding me? So he was sitting reserve for American airlines and double dipping flying fighters that day. I'm like, okay, I'm done. So I quit FedEx and went through the, went through American airlines training in the summer of 2001. And, uh, First day at work, first flight for American Airlines uh, was the morning of September 11th. Uh, so I was packing for my trip. My wife came in and, you know, told me, hey, somebody uh, hit the World Trade Center with an airplane. I'm like, I'm busy, woman, you know, probably a small airplane or bad weather. And, uh, you know, just a look on her face said otherwise. So I went out into the living room, looked at the TV, saw what everybody else saw. Beautiful day in New York City and a massive uh, smoking hole and fire. And, you know, I'm going through my mental aviation checklist of how that could have happened, and boom. Uh, next airplane hits. Didn't even take me a half a second. I knew we were under attack. I ran into the bedroom. It's still in my closet here. I pushed my American Airlines uniform out of the way. It's still in the plastic from the from the cleaners. Threw on my flight suit, put on my boots, didn't even tie those things. Got into my old Porsche, and I, I think I broke the land speed record getting out to the Naval Air Station. I got out there just as they closed it. And went to a, you know, ThreatCon Delta combat posture. And uh, got, you know, one other F-18, my buddy Gruff, another F-18 pilot made it out there. We called down to maintenance and said, Chief, how many jets you got? Get them combat ready. Get get them up. And that's when the phone rang. And next door was an Air Force F-16 reserve squadron. Uh, And, of course, as you know, Air Force guys are rich. Uh, They got all the toys. They're tied into NORAD. So, they you know, the general said, hey, whiz what do you got i said it's me and gruff sir we got a couple hornets he said we'll get over here i got 4 F s16 guys let's brief so it was like you know lexington and concord man i remember being in the command post as we're briefing uh obviously the air force is better at this stuff <laughs> they were arming their jets and uh and then they were going to arm us and uh, i remember briefing with these guys and looking up and the pentagon getting hit um So it was just incredibly surreal. So they they scrambled first and got airborne. Gruff and I taxied down to the end of the runway and, you know, uh, sat alert uh, there. And then just, I mean, like an hour later, the airspace was cleared. So uh, pretty surreal. It was, you know, it was absolutely incredible. When I got hired by American Airlines, you know, I got a letter from the chief pilot, you know, signed in ink. You know, welcome. Uh, A week after the attacks, I got a photocopied letter. From American Airlines HR that said, you know, dear crew member, you're furloughed. Uh, So I lost my job at the airlines. Uh, But, you know, as soon as I got on active duty, I was always interested in finance, right? You don't get, you don't join the military to get rich, right? Uh, But I was always interested in finance. So I had taught myself how to trade when I was on active duty, taught myself how to trade stocks and options. And I was just kind of trading in the background, uh, you know, on my own. And because uh, trading is a form of combat, right? You know, somebody's going to win and somebody's going to get their ass handed to them. So I uh, just kind of applied everything I was learning as a fighter pilot to trading, you know, having a strategy, implementing tactics, contingency planning, knowing when it to eject out of a bad situation before it gets worse. So I ended up uh, popping up, you know, so lost my job. Uh, so I started trading uh, more full time and then I popped up on the radar. Of one of the largest volatility arbitrage firms in the country, uh, an equity options trading firm headquartered in the Board of Trade. So, they picked up the phone. They gave me a call, and you know, I, I you know, I feel like uh, I felt like Eddie Murphy in Trading Places, right? Like <laughs> Valentine, you know, little old retail trader like me uh, getting pulled up to the big leagues. So uh, that's what happened. So I ended up uh, going up to Chicago, helping run a multi-billion-dollar trading firm uh, for a couple of years, and then. No offense to people in Chicago. You can keep it, man. I'm a Navy guy. I need a beach. I need sun. Uh, you know, walking from the uh, Union Station to the Board of Trade in February is like a survival situation. You know, you're like stepping over bodies to to make it into work and stealing scarves. So moved back down here to Florida because uh, my wife is from Boca Raton and I started uh, a firm called Top Gun Options about in I don't know about 2009 2010 so I teach people uh, how to trade options Uh, but back in you know 2020 uh, I I nailed the COVID market crash to the day it could not have been more perfect I had a I had a deep throat up in DC and uh, you know December January he's like dude There's something bad in China. It escaped from a weapons lab. It's coming here. I'm like, holy shit, are you kidding me? He's like, no, dude. January 22nd of 2020, uh, all the beautiful people are over in Davos, Switzerland, right? And I'll never forget this day. Uh, Ray Dalio, one of the world's largest hedge fund managers, famous quote at this conference, cash is trash. If you're in cash right now, you're an idiot type of thing. Same day. Donald Trump is on CNBC in Davos being interviewed. And at the end of the interview, it was kind of like a throwaway question. Like Joe Kiernan's like, hey, Mr. President, real quick, you know, this this China flu. It's like, what's going on? He's like, dumb question, Joe. You know, why are you even asking me that? Not coming here. I trust Xi. He's a good dude. You know, great backswing. Dumb question. I looked into this (laughs) camera. Uh, I looked into this camera in a live trade brief and I said he's lying. He's lying, get out of the market, buy puts on the S&P 500, get long volatility. I even wrote a, a, a book about it called COVID Crash. We made millionaires at Topkin Options. Little old ladies in tennis shoes crushed it. Because if you remember that, what happened the whole way down? All the smart money was like, what? Oh, this is the bottom. Or I'd buy here. Or stocks are looking good here. Oh, they got destroyed. I mean, even Donald Trump one day stocks are looking He tweeted of course, the stocks looking <laughs> good here, I'd buy. The next day the market was down 3,000 points, right? So you know that, that, that's how you know there's no such thing as quote the smart money. Whenever you hear terms like, oh, legendary investor or smart money, they're idiots. I, we are the smart money, right? I bring <laughs> this up because I made filthy amount of money uh, on that. I did outsider trading. There was like four senators who left a classified briefing, went to a microphone and said, Everything's fine. Don't worry about it. And they picked up their phone. They called their brokers, their best friends, and everybody and told them to get out. And of course, they didn't get charged with insider trading. I did the exact opposite. I told everybody who would listen. I said, the shit's coming. The market's going to implode. So I tried to tell everybody. But I bring that up because made a filthy amount of money. And uh, who cares, right? Like my dad used to say, you can't take it with you. you know? you're, you're not a pharaoh. They're not putting your money in your casket uh, for you to take to the other world. You know, in the Bible, it says what uh, it, it'll be easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. So, in the background, um, I had always wanted to try and do something about veteran suicide. I mean, uh, in in my career, I've lost three F eighteen brothers to suicide. One of them, his picture is right there on my on my other desk, was uh, groom'sman in my wedding, Eric Swenson, Swede, F eighteen pilot. Beautiful wife and five kids put a bullet in his head. So um, and just with some you know, trauma in my own personal life, I, uh, that Irish Catholic family that I, I told you about uh, when I was getting ready to go into high school, my, my oldest brother and my two sisters were attending Villanova University and uh, they were all at the same fraternity party and uh my older brother and my sister marilyn said hey monica we're we're heading back to campus you know you want to come with us and she said no i'm gonna i'm gonna grab a ride with these guys well those guys were drunk blew a stop sign and uh my sister's car got hit by a truck she was thrown from the car and it broke her neck and she died um just destroyed my family it was a she was the middle child and it was a hand grenade that just it, it changed the arc of my life. I lost my faith. What type of God kills my sister and destroys my family? Um, I was just going into high school, which is a tough time for a young man anyway, let alone a young man who just lost his sister and technically my parents. I played sports in high school, and uh, you know I'd miss the bus in the afternoon, so my dad would pick me up after work. And in between my St. Augustine prep, my high school, and my home was the cemetery. And my dad stopped every day and he got out of that car every day and he cried um so and then unfortunately had some child sexual uh trauma so you know most folks when they go into the military they they got stuff right they already have existing stuff from their childhoods or or something right (coughs) the elite uh, politician sons daughters they ain't serving in the military folks it's usually folks who you know middle class lower middle class who have stuff going on so and then in Flying Fighters, 15 years of Flying Fighters, I lost 16 brothers. Not one, not one combat loss. Weather, stupidity, mechanical, uh, acts of God, you name it. So 16 uh, people gone. And then obviously the three suicides. So, you know, I. I and transitioning out of the military was hard when I left my fighter squadron in Fort Worth uh, to go to Wall Street you know I left an environment where I trusted everyone in that ready room every pilot in that squadron with my life if I didn't they wouldn't be there anymore I mean they're just as you know they're you're gone right that's not the environment I went from there to Wall Street dude where these people wear golf shoes and you know climb all over each other to to make it right. And in the military, we use the I use the term, "You put the ladder down, put the ladder down to help your bros and your sisters." Wall Street, they fucking pull the ladder up, man. I got mine, so it was a really <clears throat> tough transition to to leave uh, fighter aviation and and go to Wall Street. It made me miserable. So put all that shit together, man. You got alcohol, you got drugs, you got stupid relationship issues. I could not have been more separated from uh, source guy, whatever word you want to use, from who I truly am. Right. So that's when I decided to, uh, after the COVID crash and making a, a shit pot of money, I said, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna start a foundation to uh, to try and save uh, veterans' lives. So. That that's the executive summary of mm-hmm. uh, of leading up to the foundation.
0: That's amazing, and I first off, I want to honor and acknowledge you for sharing a lot of that. It takes a lot of courage, and I know honestly, I feel as if a lot of us who have been through some of these psychedelic ceremonies were actually a little bit more open to speaking about that, anyways, because true, we unravel a lot of that within a ceremony, and we kind of detach from it in a way that we weren't able to beforehand, and exactly. um you know, so I, I do, you know, I know it's a little bit easier for someone who's been through some medicine experiences, but still take some courage in front of the public, in front of people. So I honor you for that. And I want to go back around to this kind of uh, remark that you made about people who join the military come in with baggage. And I've actually had Ben Smith on the podcast. I'm not sure if you know him. He's kind of helping veterans with He talks about psychedelics and breathwork and cold plunging and, you know, fitness and nutrition and all kinds of things. And he's an ex-veteran who attempted suicide. I had him on the show. And um, we talk about this concept of, you know, you're right. I think, you know, not every person who just lived a non-traumatic life, never experienced anything, just goes, hey, I want to go just fly into combat. You know, I think it (laughs) takes a little bit of a different breed and then also in the military, they also break you down emotionally, right? They kind of strip all of that away because if you're using your emotional intelligence or you're getting a little over emotional within combat, I mean it's just really not gonna serve a purpose. And then I, mm-hmm. you know, I spoke with him about how we kind of we don't have the integration process on the back end to to let them know, like, hey, that that served yeah. you for the time being, but it's gonna no longer serve you in civilization. You're going to need to kind of have some kind of construct that's going to help you break down those barriers where you can now have a marriage or have a girlfriend or have kids and, you know, not feel so isolated and alone because you've basically taken all these emotions and just shoved them into corner pockets or wherever in, you know, little, you know, intricacies in your brain. You just get them out of the way because you're in the middle of a mission or there's a mission the next day. You know, there's always something else going on for people who have served. So. What's your thoughts on that? Like, how can we, for one, maybe go through how the military breaks down people and emotional and why that doesn't serve you in a, maybe a better manner than how I spoke about it? And then how can we kind of yeah. get more of these vets to kind of open up?
1: Well, I, I, you know, I often say that the military does an incredibly good job. The military is fantastic at turning people into killers. They do a great job of of being able to train us to do some pretty horrible things to another human being, but they do an incredibly shitty job of transitioning you back to being a human being. Right after they chew you up, they spit you out, man. You're done. Uh, you're a well-oiled killing machine, and then now, you know, next, right? We're on. We're on to the next uh, group of young folks. We're gonna, we're gonna chew and spit out. In the military, you're also taught, especially in aviation, you're taught to compartmentalize, right? We're taught, hey, man, if you're in a fight with the wife, you got to leave that shit at home. You're in the squadron now. You're briefing to go flying in a fighter jet. Nothing else in the world is important. And if you and I were flying uh, you know, in combat and you got smoked, I can't mourn you, right? I'll, you know, I'll, I'll mourn Matthew later. Well, guess what? You don't get a later. It's on to the next mission or somebody else dies or something like that. So all the, when they say compartmentalize, you put all that shit into these little compartments. And if you don't have an outlet for them, they're going to explode and they're going to explode either in suicide, suicide attempts, alcohol, drugs. I mean, fighter aviation, when I was in the Navy was obviously a culture of drinking anyway. I mean, we'd be out on the boat flying missions and all that type of stuff we'd pull into Dubai or Hong Kong or Singapore and just go absolutely ape shit, Right. So, uh, the military, uh, you know, if, if I could put it on my whiteboard or my vision board or my dream board, they need a better transition process, uh, to include talking about medicines or breath work or medicine. You know, there are as many human beings on the planet. There are as many ways to heal, right? Uh, yoga, breath work, climb to the top of a mountain, who know a cold plunge? I, I don't care what it is there are so many different ways to heal the military really doesn't go into any of them at all uh, it's like hey here's how you write a resume and you know wear a coat and tie and there's the door um, and it's awful so if, if the No Fallen Heroes Foundation which, which I started which we can get into uh, when you want is the mission objective is to use uh, those healing medicines ain't for everybody radical I was a radical guy flying fighters and shit like that. That's a radical uh, career. I needed some radical healing, especially having some of that uh, radical uh, trauma on board. So, you know, the medicine uh, is definitely not for everybody, but it is definitely for somebody (laughs) or for some folks.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I totally agree. I want to get into that in a little bit, but I wanted to ask like, what does even a typical say Uh, A fighter comes out of the military, they've served, they've done some combat, maybe not killed anyone or have, or at least seen people, you know, take their lives or end their lives or be killed. What does it typically look like? Are they just um, told to go to therapy? Is it mostly just like painkillers or anti-anxiety meds? What's the typical treatment look like right now?
1: Well, it's, it's interesting because as an, I'll I'll speak to the aviation side of the house, of course. So each squadron. Air Wing has a flight surgeon, right? They're a doc, doc, right? Every squadron's got a doc assigned to them. And, of course, the doc says what? Hey, man, you got any problems? You know, you come talk to me type of thing. I'm, I'm, I'm Santa. You know, you can come talk to me. <laughs> what are you, high? No, you can't, right? If you go to your flight surgeon and go, hey, man, feeling a little depressed or anxious. Okay, wiz, thanks for telling me. Now you're grounded. Or Mm. let me take your wings. Or So there's actually this culture of you have to hide uh, what's going on. Two days ago, the Washington Post, uh, let me just read the the top. Let me read the headline from the Washington Post two days ago. 5,000 pilots suspected of hiding major health issues. Most are still flying. So... As a veteran, let me give you a quick story talking about separating from the military. I'll never forget this. I was in my separation class with a bunch of other pilots and uh, half the room anecdotally, but it it felt like half half the room was like, hey, man, you know, make sure you you claim everything you can, you know, and, and you'll get disability benefits or your your kids can go to college for free, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, whoa. I said, I'm going to FedEx in a month, man. I, I got an FAA physical, you know, and then the FAA physical says, have you, at, not like recently, it says, have you ever in your life had PTSD? Tra- it, and of course, what do we as uh, aviators put? Nope. So, you know, the other half of the room, guys like me were like, dude, I'm not, I, there's shit wrong with me, but I flew 15 years fighter aviation. I'm pretty sure I can handle an airliner, you know? So I kind of hid my stuff, right? And other guys didn't. Well, get the and it's interesting because I remember saying this to some of my buddies at the time, I'm like, dude, I'm not, I ain't doing that shit. No, no, man, those two, those two systems don't talk, right? You know, the V A doesn't talk to the F A A type of thing. I'm like, well, with my luck, <laughs> the day will come when that happens. Here we are, 23 years later, and the day has come. So the D, the the V A. Is reporting to the FAA like, hey, this guy's getting, you know, disability benefits for PTS and the FAA is like, holy shit, dude, you didn't put this on your, boom. So now we have this and, and I give the flying public this choice. You ready? Which one would you choose? Would you rather your veteran captain or first officer take a week off to get their mind, body and soul together, or would you rather them keep lying, hiding Self-medicating or drinking, right? We recently uh, sent a guy down to Costa Rica uh, for, for the medicine, American Airlines captain, F-16, 15-year uh, F-16 pilot. He said, Wiz, I've been in therapy for decades, man, and I pay cash because I don't want Uncle Sam to, to keep track. So we have this culture of the leadership, quote unquote, saying, hey, man, you, know, you need any help? You know put up the bat signal and and it'll be respected and you'll be fine and then you see when people do they get clipped so it it, all of that has to change there has to be a radical change to all of that Uh, I mean I've had some aviator buddies like make the mistake technically of telling the FAA the truth and they're done flying or it'll take two three four years until they get their license back and now they're unemployed, so it's 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 sad. It's it's a culture of uh, you got to hide stuff because if you tell the truth, it's it's wrong. Um, so that's why, yeah, you know, talking to you and, and getting that message out that hey, healing is possible. I've lost count in the past couple of years of how many airline guys and gals we have sent to go do the medicine, and they are completely different human beings, and they're almost to i will say all of them i haven't met one of them who's come back a year two three years later and gone like "Oh, i'm a complete mess again nope they are they are different human beings
0: hello everyone first of all i'd love to thank you for tuning in to the integrative thoughts podcast i'm your host matt kaufman and through this platform i plan on seeking out guests that interest me that i am curious about and overall just living a more meaningful purposeful life in hopes that you as listeners and I myself can grasp onto a little bit of their knowledge and integrate that into our daily lives. Yeah, I get it. And back to this point of, if you're not gonna allow the airline pilot to go to therapy, to receive i mean i'm not really with ssris or something but maybe some people may benefit from those but he's still not even going to seek out that kind of treatment or she he or she whoever and so then what what's next it's obviously alcohol because it's accepted and it's everywhere but then it probably leads to even more like now he's meeting a drug dealer, he's getting pills from yeah. somewhere, Xanax or Vicodin, shit that I used to do and before yeah. I did some of the medicines, and so really... We're cutting off their wings, as you say, and then we're leading it to more street level kind of criminal like, you know, they're just going to hide it, maybe even hide it from their family, you know, just all sorts of shit where they're going to deal with that trauma in some way and they don't have the tools yet. So, I mean, speaking from experience from having different traumas than you guys, um, I know that I just resorted to, you know, cannabis, Vicodin, Adderall, lots of booze, you know, things of that nature because, you know, you can find them pretty much anywhere as long as you go to a local bar or wherever (laughs) you'll figure it Mm -hmm. out if you're you're really looking for that. So that's Mm -hmm. just really sad. And, you know, there's got to be more people talking about these veterans, because I know we're in this kind of climate as well. I like to bring up is I know we're kind of figuring out more about the military military industrial complex and how wars are just funding, you know, a lot of these elites and everything. And, you know, people want to talk about that. And, you know, I, I really think we need to, disconnect from that thinking and how we think about veterans. Because when veterans go into service, they aren't in control of wh- how or why the war is going on. They're literally right. just putting on their suit, and they believe they're doing the best thing that they can do for the country, and it's an honorable mission that I would never do, and a lot of people wouldn't lace up and do. It's very honorable. So we need to treat them in that fashion instead of going, "Well, they just fought in this little money scheme war. We bombed Iraq. Like you know, it's like whatever happened, they were just following orders." And they were doing it in the name of our nation. So they don't have control over that. So I do think that we need to give them a little bit more respect as this climate changes around. There's a lot of narratives out there now about how all, you know, we just we're just a forever wars, right? We're in a forever war. It's a money grab. I get it. But we still need to take care of these soldiers when they come home.
1: So it's interesting because in the United States of America, the definition of a Schedule One drug is, is no therapeutic use and a high risk of addiction. That's the literal definition of a cigarette and alcohol. Neither one of those things are therapeutic and both of them to excess will kill you. So with those being illegal, these medicines, the medicine that that I sat with, uh, Ibogaine and Iboga, uh, are illegal and it's it's just it's standard government, right? We label something the exact opposite of what it does. These psychedelic medicines, many of them are anti-addictive, meaning the more you do, the less they work. And they're also the most therapeutic thing I've ever done in my life. So, alcohol and tobacco are technically schedule 1 drugs, but these medicines uh, are illegal. It's a disgrace. I mean, We've had to go to Mexico. We have we've had to go to Costa Rica uh, to do these healing medicines. But I'm here to tell you, uh, I think next month, maybe October. I'm still working on, on raising funds for this. We're going to do our first healing our heroes retreat in the United States in Colorado. Thank God to Oregon and Colorado for leading the way where these medicines are legal uh, at the state level. Still illegal on the federal level, but it's just it, it's a crime uh, that these things are illegal in many parts of the United States. It's just, it, I mean, it, it makes sense to me because if you're the alcohol in the tobacco lobby or big pharma, these things should scare you. If you're a big pharma executive, you're done. One of the Navy SEALs I did medicine with, uh, Wiz, I was on 15 meds, man, five to wake up, five for lunch, and five to go to bed. He's on zero. So the VA, many people uh, believe, and I, I believe is a pill factory they are I mean these VA executives and doctors they just it's they're not treating the injury they're just treating kind of the symptoms they're not getting down to the core of why uh, our veterans are suffering and uh, you know this is the, the medicine that is here and coming is gonna is gonna scare a lot of a lot of people with uh, coats and ties because uh, these times are a changing
0: yeah I agree they I mean when we want to talk about addictions I was just drinking every night doing you know pharmaceuticals just all kinds of shit and then started microdosing first then did a big mushroom ceremony and it was just like and the more I've done the medicines now I can even I say this all the time like if you really do the inner work with some of these medicines and you know obviously I've done a bunch of yoga and meditation and lots of different detoxification and different things. But like now I can enjoy my two, three drinks at a steak dinner. And then, you know, like right now I haven't drank in like three months. Like I just don't think about it. But then if I'm at a dinner, if I'm at a networking thing, I can have two or three drinks. It doesn't spiral into anything. Like you can really get your power back if you do some of these medicines and then do the integration process and do a lot of the inner work as well. So for addiction, it's just unreal.
1: I couldn't agree more. I was a drinker And I was not a good drinker. I don't know if you can be a good drinker, but I was a bad (laughs) drinker. And my Ibogaine completely destroyed alcohol for me. It took, kind of like you now, I took six to eight months-ish. I couldn't even look at alcohol. It made me physically ill. Uh, When you look at Ibogaine treatments of heroin addicts, like 85% of horrific heroin addicts and up to three years after the medicine, haven't even looked at heroin again. Um, so the Ibogaine is an absolute uh, addiction interrupter. I'm like you now. I can have a couple glasses of wine now with my ribeye or or something like that. But old me, a glass of wine was the <laughs> bottle. Uh, old me, uh, uh, you know, a, a couple drinks was a bottle of al- uh, vodka. Gone. And I'm like you. I, I can go months now without even, uh, you know, it, it destroyed it hell, I was a coffee fiend uh, and it destroyed coffee. So the Ibogaine that I did was it gave me an absolute clean piece of paper uh, that I could uh, start again from. But if you go back, you know, integration is all of it. 5% is the medicine, 95% is the integration. Uh, but if if you go back to kind of your old ways, you can you can slip back into stuff. So it's not a the medicines aren't magic pills or anything like that. It's work, right? And you know, we talked about doing the medicine work. It's it's work. It ain't gonna it ain't gonna do itself, but it's gonna give you a, a nice, clean, fresh starting point.
0: Yeah, I agree. So I kind of want to get into your personal story with the medicine. It seems like you succeeded at military, succeeded at trading, had the family, pretty much kind of the American dream in the fullest form was there like an exact event or moment that where you really just felt like you were, even though you had everything, you were still really disconnected. And then like, what was the catalyst to say, okay, now Ibu gains the thing that I'm gonna try.
1: Yeah, the, I mean, I, I had been spiraling down for, for years, uh, drug, uh, drugs, alcohol, uh, relationships. Um, and, you know, I, I had my couple dark nights of the soul lying on the bathroom floor Uh, Type of thing close to uh, close to checking out, you know, if it was not for my three incredible children, I might might not be here. Um, But this was a God moment. Like I said, in 2020, made a lot of money with the with the market crash, started a, a foundation called. The Top Gun Fighter Foundation, and that was more aviation centered, right? Obviously, the name Top Gun Fighter Foundation. Uh, so around the time I said, I don't know how I'm going to stop veterans uh, from killing themselves. I don't know jobs. You know, get a buy a suit. I-, I was just throwing shit at the wall that would see to see what would stick. And then I had heard about a group of special warfare uh, guys who were going down to Mexico to do psychedelic medicine. So uh, I got an invitation. You know, I'm like, wait, go to Mexico for a weekend with some Navy SEALs and do drugs? Sign me up! <laughs> you know, who wouldn't want to? Who wouldn't sign up for that? I'm like, I had no idea, no idea what I was in for, man. Um, I'm glad I didn't have a lot of time to to think about it. Uh, I still would have mm-hmm. done it, but you know, in hindsight, I'm like, man, if I had, because um, you and it's funny because you know they, I went to a place called the Mission Within, and uh, they send you a manual. And I'd read like a couple pages, because I'm a military guy, man. I'm an aviator. I read the manual. And, you know, so I'd read a couple pages of the manual. I'm like, all right, all right, I, I, I kind of know what's going to happen. And then every once in a while, they had a nice couple sentences that said, by the way, nothing can prepare you for what's about to happen. I'm like, holy shit. Then they'd have another page or two of good stuff. I'm like, oh, okay, all right, now I feel better again. Same <laughs> block, like nothing <laughs> can, pre- I'm like, what the hell's going on? After doing the medicine, I get it because it gave me some situational awareness, but nothing could have prepared me for what I experienced. So I ended up lucking out, uh, or I didn't luck out. God did it. I went uh, to Mexico with just an incredible group. Uh, I went with Marcus Luttrell, which just about everybody knows is the lone survivor, wrote the book, the movie, just incredible human beings. So Marcus Uh, The other guy I went with, his name is Jared Taylor. He's one of the founders of Black Rifle Coffee. Uh, Went with another SEAL uh, officer named JJ, and then also uh, an NFL player who was just suffering from horrific CTE. Uh, I mean, I rode, you you know, everybody meets in San Diego, and then you drive like an hour, hour and a half south to the Mission Within, and we kind of ride in a convoy, and I was with the, the football player. And, man... I was sitting in the back seat with death, big dude, just a big guy. And he looked like he needed a sickle and like a black, he he was like death. Let me fast forward. I bumped into him, literally bumped into him like a year later at a, at a fundraiser. And I, I kept going and he's like, whiz. And I turned around, I did not recognize him. He was a completely different human being. He looked like life. He looked healthy he's like what's up?" i'm like oh my god robert i did not he's like yeah so anyway um we go down to mexico and uh beautiful place the mission within and we you know friday night fire ceremony and uh take the ibogaine now if for those of you who don't know iboga i-b-o-g-a iboga is a a root from gabon africa from central and, and west africa some believe it's actually the tree of knowledge, like Adam and Eve type of thing. So Iboga's got 14 alkaloids in it, all sorts of different alkaloids. And one of those alkaloids is called Ibogaine. So here in the West for heroin or for, you know, addiction, heroin, alcohol, and also head trauma. A lot of folks have been doing studies and some research. And when you pull that alkaloid out, just Ibogaine, it's like pulling out the the nuclear weapon part of, of this bomb. So that's what we did. So Ibogaine, um, man, it was, uh, the most incredible, first of all, it felt like forever, uh, in a good way. It was the most, uh, spiritual experience of my life. My dad died, uh, at the age of 65. Um, uh, I, I, I'm convinced he died of, uh, a broken heart. He was never the same after my sister Monica died. So on the Ibogaine, uh, I saw my sister and my father, and they were perfect. I couldn't remember the last time I saw my father happy after my dad, after my sister died. And I saw both of them, and they were perfect. They were, and I felt, I just felt their love. And uh, I was healed. Just in that moment of experiencing them, I was healed. But they started to, uh, pixelated is a bad word, they just started to kind of leave. And I was horrified. I was yelling out, don't go, don't leave me. And they came back and they looked at me and I felt that absolute love again. And they started to go away again. But this time I followed them and they went into everything. They went into my daughter, they went into the trees, they went into me, they went into the, the sunrise, they never left, and they're here, they're here right now with you and I on this podcast. Decades of trauma healed in that moment. Um, I mean, I, we don't have enough time for me to give you the full debrief of the entire Ibogaine experience, but man, it was without a doubt Uh, it's, it's like God, it was a movie, right? And, and people like, oh my God, you're hallucinating. You're tripping out. You're passed out. Uh, uh I'm lying on my back with some eye shades on. Eye shades up, sit up. There's the nurses. There's Marcus. You're wide awake. It's a waking dream. You're not passed out. These aren't hallucinations either. Some other medicines, uh, ayahuasca, for example, are outside medicines. Ibogaine, ibogaine are very, inside this is a you experience the uh and it felt like a movie like god just kind of had me whatever word you want to use if god turns you off there's something source creator divine truth you you put whatever word you I, man i i've taken a bunch of folks who are atheists or agnostics That ain't atheists or agnostics anymore. They might not use the word God, but they're (coughs) like, you know what, dude, you're right. It's some, there's a thing. I'm like, okay, don't call it God because I know that makes your skin crawl. But anyway, whatever word that, that, that entity just had me under its arm and showed me everything. And when I'm, it's funny, I got back from Mexico and I told my wife Susie, I'm like, "Ah, I don't need to travel ever again. She's like, why? I'm like, I saw everything i physically saw from the beginning of the universe to i can't even describe it so um the ibogaine was it felt like forever and then it also felt like we took the medicine and the sun was up i sat up and the, the sun was up so it it went so quick but it was forever that's so hard to explain so we had a uh we call it a gray day the next day you're kind of you know crying in a good way you're kind of you know you're writing in your journal you're you know, you're taking it all in. And I remember just trying to write everything down. And uh, and, and that's where I got the 595 from was my guide and Doc Martine. I'm like, oh, my, you know, and they're like, whiz, whiz, whiz. 5% of all of this is here. It's the medicine. 95% is going to be the, the integration. And they're like, if today, over the coming days, just write stuff down. Even don't know what it means. I remember writing down the word that next day, apostle and I had no idea what the hell that meant. Now I do. Cuz my mission is to tell people about this. Period, and about the potential gifts. The next day, <clears throat> and this is pretty this is pretty intense. The next day was 5-MeO-DMT. Bufo alvarius, right? It's from the desert Sonoran toad. And this is pretty nuts. So, Go up to the room so that when we did the ibogaine, all five of us are in the same room. There's a couple nurses. There's a cardiologist downstairs throughout who sleeps there during the night. You're hooked up to an EKG. Very, it's half spiritual, half medical, right? So you ain't you're in good hands. So don't you know? Um, the next day big white bed in the middle of the room where we all did the journey and they keep us separated and I'll tell you why they keep us separated it's because of me so we did the the, 5MEO DMT journey was going to be all the way upstairs and they they kept us all all the way down on that the lower floor beautiful place looks at the Pacific Um, so Marcus went first and then I went so bed in the middle of the floor overlooking the Pacific beautiful day I can still and the curtains kind of blowing and uh, Doc Martine was in there, uh, Cynthia, my guide, and then a, a Navy SEAL kind of a, at the head of the, the mattress on the floor. And, uh, you know, they give you a good little brief, hey, take it in a little bit. It's called a handshake, right? You, you don't want to do a bunch of 5-MeO-DMT. You you, you want to get your body a little, little, little taste, acclimate a little bit. So I did that. And then they said, uh, okay, you know, draw it in for, it's, a, it's like a vape pen, you know, draw it in for count to 10, drawing it in, and then hold it, and then try and count to 10 going out. On the way out, man, when I got to about eight, and they, you know, you have your eye shades up here ready to go, and they're like, as soon as you, you, you kind of feel it, we'll just kind of lay you back and put your eye shades down. I'm like, okay, that sounds like a deal. Man, I, I got to eight and just started to lay back, and when I went to lay back, there wasn't a bed. I just, in the blink of an eye, uh, I exploded. Exploded. It, it sounds violent, but <clears throat> I, I'll, I'll stick with it. I exploded into love, light, uh, infinity. Um, it was. It was peace. It was a peace I've never felt before. Uh, Take it, you know, I hope people don't take this the wrong way, but take an orgasm and multiply it by a trillion. And that was the feeling. Um, and it answered a question for me ever since my sister died when I was, a, you know, I always wondered if she's bored, right? Like, do people get bored in heaven? Like, oh, I've been here for a while. You know what? Shit. You know, the answer is no. I felt infinity and infinity is now there is no future there's no past there's only now and I experienced that God said showed me what forever was and I felt it and it's only now so my dad my buddies that killed themselves my buddies that got killed in mishaps my sister they're not bored it's only now so It's perfect, right? So I have tinnitus, horrible tinnitus from flying airplanes. My vision of my right eye is going to shit. My back's killing me from 15 years of flying fighters. Everything was perfect. And up to about a year after the medicine, everything was perfect. And my guide gave me a really good take on it. She's like, Wiz, you were in the presence of source. You were with God. Everything is perfect everything is healed. Do you remember Jesus like putting mud on a little girl's eyes or something? Or mm-hmm. it, 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 God can heal with touch. You were in the presence of that. So I, I noted that too. I'm like, I felt everything was healed, right? Here's the funny part. <clears throat> so I kind of wanted to stay, right? It was perfect. I, I can't even, it, I, I learned a new SAT word, ineffable. You can't describe you can't put into words what you experience. And that's the quickest thing I'll say. But here's what happened. This is my Apollo thirteen moment. It was the reentry <laughs> that was that was tough because I'm I'm at perfection. I'm at infinity. I'm part of everything, but I still have a sense of me and I have a sense of God. And God was kind of like, Hey man, do you get it? You got it? This is this is it. Okay, but not now. I'm like, okay, got to leave, dude, type of thing. Like, you know, now do you understand, you know? I kind of remember this. I tried to leave there, and I tried to fit back into this thing, this imperfect vessel. And I remember trying to come into this thing, this flesh, and I still remember in me seeing some black, some, some shame, some regret, uh, some just funk. And I was coming from perfection back into this thing. And I, it had to leave. It did not <clears> belong in me anymore. So I, I remember the beginning of this one. I remember just screaming at the top. I haven't yelled like this since my dad died. Screaming at the top of my lungs. And they said, uh, Doc and Cynthia said, you got into this fetal position and you were red and you yelled at the top of your lungs. And then there, it still wouldn't, there was whatever left, shame or regret or trauma that was still in there. I remember this, the beginning of the second yell, I yelled apparently louder and longer and I went from being in a fetal position to a flip. I flipped in the bed. Now, in my fifty two years on this planet, I think I've tried to flip into the pool once or twice and I've landed on my back. I cannot do a flip, and I flipped in this bed. so I remember i don't remember I don't remember any of that the flip or the physical stuff I was doing. I mean, Cynthia's like you were born, you were like in a fetus coming out of the birth kit you were reborn, but I remember hearing a deep breath and then i'm like well i don't think that was me then i heard another deep breath and then i opened my eyes and it was perfect and all three of them are like looking they're all crying they all look like they i mean they look terrified and full of tears and they're looking at me and i'm like and i'm perfect i'm like "Uh, are you guys okay and they're like "Uh, are are you (laughs) i'm like yeah, I've I've never been better, right? (laughs) So uh, it was funny just seeing these three people like they had seen a ghost, and and they're crying. Um, So, and I'm, you know, they they let you sit, and you you had to fast, so they give you some fruit, and I'm like, it was the best fruit I've ever tasted. So I'm just sitting there crying, just crying tears of joy. And uh, later at dinner, they're like, do you remember some of the first things you said to us? I'm like, no. They're like, You said, this is freedom. And I was like, yeah. And then they said, you said, I can't wait to tell Susie I love her forever because I finally know what forever means. And it was the truth. It uh, uh, it was absolutely the most uh, incredible experience of my existence. Uh, I will tell you. And. Uh, I I tried to do 5-MEO again. I'm not doing 5-MEO ever again. I, I only, I got what I needed on the first one. The second time, it was almost like God going, what are you doing here? You already, you know this, Matthew. I'll use an aviation analogy. It felt like, I was trying to go super, you know, the first time I went supersonic, I went the speed of light instantaneously. The second time I was bumping up against the sound barrier or or the speed of light. I couldn't, I couldn't jump to hyperspace, so to speak. And it was so incredibly frustrating. And I took that with me. So people are like, Hey, you know, 5 i I'm like, I'm good. I do not, I got what I needed. And the second time, you know, the the medicine gives you what you need, not what you want. Right. And my guide, Cynthia is like, you know what? Probably should have told you this. (laughs) You know, she's like anybody who does the medicine again with the mission objective of trying to help others, the medicine's going to show you everything. She's like, did you actually think you were going to get that, what you got the first time? I'm like, Kinda, yeah, that's why I wanted to do it again. And she's like, oh, well, I probably should have done a better job briefing you that you might have had a challenge the second time around. I'm like, well, son of a bitch. I'm glad I did it, but, um, you know, I, you know, people, hey, Wiz, if you go on this retreat, you know, you can do some five. I'm like, I'm good. So when people ask about the medicine, my Ibogaine and my 5-MeO, I could have been done for the rest of my life. Uh, and the medicine, you know, these were, this is one of those ridiculous sentences that before the medicine I would have laughed at, but after the medicine I know is a fact. The medicine calls to you. If you don't hear it or feel it, it's not, right? So I don't feel, I might, you know, I don't know, a couple of years ago knock the rust off. I think Marcus and JT are like, hey, we should do an annual, you know, knock the rust off type of thing. Um, which I'm not averse to. I currently microdose. I feel great, right? But people, this isn't a, you know, you're doing Ibogaine, you know, every weekend or 5-MeO. Uh-uh, man. A lot of these, a lot of the veterans and first responders and their families that we help are, are one and done. Uh, but there are some people who go back, have some deeper trauma or deeper cleaning or, you know, just I, I, I leave it up to them. But this is not – uh you know, it's funny when I walk the halls of Congress and talk to people, I'm glad to make the distinction between the psychedelic movement and the cannabis movement. This ain't recreational, folks. You are not doing ibogaine or eboga and going out in a club in Vegas. You you ain't going anywhere, right? So it it's this is not recreational. It's not fun, so to speak. I gotta be honest with you, when, when I sit here and I I meditate or, or reflect on my five MEO experience, uh it was it was the most spiritually violent thing that ever happened to me. I had you know, as a Navy fighter pilot, I you know take off on the catapult off an aircraft carrier. I went from zero to particles and <clears throat> it was incredibly uh, violent. so and but that's my experience. Sometimes I hesitate about going this deep into my experiences because there's not one person listening to this who's going to have that. You're going to have you now there are some similar broad brushes right you know with ibogaine or the 5 meo there you know i've talked to people who are like holy shit i blew up in the light too but some other people are you know whatever it is so listen to everything that i've said and take it with a grain of salt because you're going to get exactly what you need not necessarily what i what i need so um the medicine saved my life it changed my life uh like i said if it if it if You hear it calling, do some research and and look into it. I think the best thing that people can do is uh, in the United States, six months from now, maybe-ish, MDMA is going to be legal for therapeutic use. MAPS, you know, finish their phase three trials, uh, and the FDA is damn close to approving it and the DEA rescheduling it. So MDMA is going to kind of be, I think, the first, uh, you know, the first ship, uh, to deploy. Then I think psilocybin will be next. But, you know, Ibogaine, Iboga, a little bit further down the road because they are, they, 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 you, you, I respect these medicines. I don't even know if 5-MeO would ever be <laughs> legal for therapeutic use. They're just, <laughs> you know, the FAA ain't good with, you know, they, they want uniformity, right? Like, the, the, you know, when I did Iboga down in Costa Rica, the, the medicine guy went around the fire said a prayer and felt spirit and then decided how much to give you that ain't going to go over too well with the FDA. Like, wait a minute. The guy just kind of decides in the spur of the moment. I'm like, yeah. Um, So there you go. So that, that, that's my medicine uh, debrief. And it, uh, I still fondly, you know, I, I kept my journal and stuff like that. I'll reread uh, from those times and it'll, it'll take me back there. Uh, I, I'm just, I could not be more blessed uh, for this experience. You know, five years ago, me, if i saw me on a podcast talking like this i would have kicked my own ass uh but that guy that guy died on on the floor uh, on a bed in in a house in mexico and i've never been better
0: yeah that's amazing it's so funny that you say like the language you use because um curtis who actually introduced us one of Mm -hmm. my lifelong friends um i got him introduced to, you know, mushroom ceremonies and things when he was having a really hard time, having depression and suicidal thoughts and things like that. And he Mm -hmm. was kind of in the same category. He was doing well for himself. He's an entrepreneur, you know, makes money and still was having all of the, you know, you have everything you want, but then there's still always something missing, right? His relationships weren't as good as they should have been. And he was talking about selling everything and moving to a different country, and just, you know all these crazy thoughts that you have when you just got a little bit of money and you're like not happy where you're at. And I said, just come down, you know, come down mm-hmm. here to Florida for a month, take the you take your month off, have your employees run your system, and um, yep. you know, I, I'm gonna introduce introduce you to a couple of things. So I mean, I had him doing body work and you know exercise Good. with oxygen therapy and all kinds of you know saunas and different things. But I had him mm-hmm. do a mushroom ceremony with me and. I mean, he just was. he's ever since he's been a different guy. He's he's um, done you know a lot sure. of ayahuasca. But why I'm bringing mm-hmm. this up is we have these long, hour long, two hour long conversations because we were just you know young, reckless, partying, having sex, you know, sex, drugs, yeah. and rock and roll. You know what I mean? It was exactly. just having a good time. Yeah. And the, the the language we use around these medicines, about the medicine talks to you and the spiritual conversations we have, we always go back to like, dude seven years ago both of us <laughs> would be fucking like looking no at us no like way. what in the fuck are you guys <laughs> talking about <laughs> like exactly. I, I as you said atheist yeah. i was kind of i never really went to church growing up unless my aunt was watching me she was a big church goer um yeah. but that was like you know just here and there i never really was like religious and then i had a Um, a teacher who kind of convinced me about like, you know, evolution. So I was a big atheist guy until I took that first um, like four or five grams of mushrooms and was sitting Mm -hmm. out on my balcony at my apartment during a thunderstorm and just talking to God. And I come down and goes, well, that's interesting for a person who doesn't believe in God. I'm sitting here holding like a crystal like necklace that I got on and I'm rocking back and forth and I'm just looking into the lightning And I'm just Mm -hmm. talking to the sky and saying, God, like the God just kept being repeated. And I'm just Mm -hmm. like, I come down back into, you know, that where you're, you're, you're not really sober, but you're not really on the medicine no more. And you're just kind of in this space and you're just like trying to analyze everything. And I'm going, what the hell is that about? Like what, what, what would make some uh, atheist person sit on the balcony in a thunderstorm and just repeatedly say the word God and speak to God and, and ask him to, you know, you know, come to me and give me signs Mm -hmm. and help me sober up and all of this shit. And I just never looked back, you know, I I was already doing Mm -hmm. yoga and, you know, in the yoga community, a lot of times people, like you said, say source or universe, synchronicities, the things like that. And I got a clear calling from the medicine, like no, God Mm -hmm. is powerful. (laughs) I'm like, I, you know, I was like, God in, you know, so now I, you know, if I do a prayer before a meal or whatever, it's God. If I meditate and pray, it's, it's God, because Mm. I feel the the word holds more power in my opinion. And another thing that I had during my medicine ceremony, I'll share is similar to kind of some uh, family traumas you had. So my father was never around. And, you know, I kind of just always pushed it to the back, did fine. My mom took care of me and my brother, and we never needed for nothing. She was, you know, just worked whatever job, but always we always had everything we needed. Lights were on, decent house, you know, whatever. Mm. And um, after a mushroom ceremony one time, I just you hadn't thought about my dad and you know, I hadn't seen him in 20 something years and just doesn't really cross my mind. You know, I'm an adult and I come out of this mushroom ceremony and I'm just crying saying, I forgive you. Like I forgive you. Life's hard. I know yeah. he was, you know, I think he was on alcohol and drugs. This is you know, pretty common for the city that I grew up in. And mm-hmm. it was just it, that was like so healing that it was insane to think like I'm just sitting here mm-hmm. saying, like, I forgive you for everything. For it's, and, and, yeah. and ever since then, I felt like I realized that I did like the what trying to make money and trying to be successful, like everything that I did. I was actually driven by that chip on my shoulder, like like I was doing it to prove something to a person who was never even going to know whether I was successful or not because I'm never even going to speak to him again, and um, so it was like I'm, but I didn't realize that I just was doing the thing, you know, I was just trying Mm -hmm. to make money and you know just trying to navigate through life, and after after I had forgiven him. I'm like, now you can just learn to try to be successful for yourself and for my wife and for my future kids that we're trying to have and things like that. Instead of being driven by this kind of trauma process, that's going to make you overwork over, you know, grind yourself to the ground type yeah. of thing. And now it's just for how can I make it come, come with ease, you know, still still be driven, but more so for me and my family instead of this mm-hmm. little demon that I'm trying to prove something yeah. to that. I I really was unconscious, though, like it it just brought that forth. Like I had never really thought about it in that manner. And it was it was bizarre the way the medicines can open you up. And just shatter paradigms and make you think about things that you're just doing unconsciously in this more, mm. bring it to light. And then you got to, you do have to integrate it and it's hard <clears throat> and take a while. Sometimes you don't even really realize what it meant for two or three weeks or a month. Yeah. And then you go, Oh, that's what that was about. All right. I get it. I get the stupid shit that I was doing. So it's yeah. super interesting, <laughs> but it's funny though. The language we use being really like masculine men and partying and doing everything. And then you do some oh, yeah. medicines and you're, Fucking, I don't know. You're like in some sitting Indian style and fucking <laughs> and doing all this like shamanic fucking chants. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, it's funny you bring that up because I I, I I found the medicine kind of like you did. I, when I was having my dark nights of the soul, uh, a friend of mine said, dude, you need go try yoga. I'm like, I would kick my own ass if I saw me at yoga. Walked down the street in Fort Lauderdale, went to yoga. And, you know, I've worked out as a fighter pilot, I had to be in shape or, you know, worked out on the ship with seals and stuff like that. I think I'm pretty freaking good shape. It kicked my ass. (laughs) A 60 minute hot fusion flow, uh, is, is a workout. And then that led to breath work, you know, from yoga, I I moved on to meditation. I mean, old me couldn't sit still for more than 30 seconds without my mind uh, racing all over the place. So, you know, yoga. Then breath work and then the medicine. I will tell people if you are, if you do hear the medicine calling, maybe throw on some Lululemons and start doing some yoga. Then maybe do some mindfulness. It will help you immensely in in any medicine work. But it's funny that that you say that because as I started on this journey, you know, three years ago ish, you know, the culture of naval aviation and fighter pilots. You know, I'd I'd post some of the shit on social media. and My buddies excoriate me, right? You know, in, in a fighter squadron, and then the DM started to come, like, "All right, dude, hey, what are you doing?" I'm like, ah, all right, now you give me shit publicly, <laughs> and now you're you're texting me and emailing me, asking me well, why I'm good." All right, you know, I just that's the mission objective, right? Put the ladder down. You lead by example. Um, you know, whenever we travel on an airliner. You know, what's the, what's the first brief the flight attendant gives? If we lose cabin pressurization, put the mask on who first? You. You got to put the mask on yourself first. You ain't good to anybody else on your row if you pass out, right? So, uh, you know, when you put the mask on yourself first, when you take care of you first, maybe you can act as kind of that beacon of change. Um, you know, if you want to change the world, you got to start with changing you uh, first and and I 'm glad it was so cool to hear what you said about your dad and forgiveness, because your dad it, you know this I, I had this book right here it's called "A Course in Miracles." Another one of those things that if I saw me with this book I'd hit me in the head with it. <laughs> but it was really cool because so you giving your dad forgiveness ha- has nothing to do with your dad. it had everything to do with you. you needed to get that off that was for you to heal because in a course in miracles it says forgiveness is an unknown concept in heaven the need for it just doesn't exist right right mm-hmm. so god god doesn't make imperfect things right god doesn't sit up there or anywhere and go i'm gonna make something really shitty right i'm not i'm gonna make a jeffrey dahmer or or a or a vladimir putin Everything, every person on this planet is perfect. Ditch this shell, ditch the ego, ditch all the crap, and you are left with your soul, your source, and you are perfect. You are enlightened. It's funny, people are like, Are you on the path to enlightenment? I'm like, I already am. That's not ego talking. We all are enlightened. You just got to get rid of all the shit that keeps you from recognizing that, right? So, especially on the 5MEO, E- it was ego death. And it's funny because, you know, I own my own personal fighter jet that we fly down here in South Florida. We take donors flying. You never want to hear a fighter pilot talk like this. I have no fear of death. Now, let me clean that up. <laughs> I want to be a granddad. I love my kid. I want to see my grandkid. I want to, I you know, sit on my porch at 98 and yell at kids to get off my lawn. I don't want to go anywhere anytime soon. But I can guarantee you to my core I have no fear of death. I know exactly what's going to happen when that last, that my worst day will be my best day, I guarantee you. So it's it's interesting, the whole forgiveness thing, because you felt better when you forgave your dad. Your dad's already forgiven. God, you know, <clears throat> because when I was on the, and I got this, you know, I read the book after my, my journey, but I got it on the Ibogaine. I remember looking at God going, I, I, I you know, first of all, I'm like, are, are, are you God? <laughs> you know, I kind of knew it. Right. And, and I, and I did this whole, he's like, yeah. And I, and I said, well, where you been? And he's like, I have always been, where have you been type of thing? And it was very loving. You know, I was just kind of like, Hey man, well, where you been type of thing? He's like, <laughs> I've always been here, man. You know, where, where, where you been? Um, and I remember getting on my knees and just kind of like begging for forgiveness for being a, you know, not the best human being or husband or father and got, not that God can shrug, but God kind of looked at me like, you know, Matthew, you're, you're perfect. You're forgiven. If you need me to say it or to feel, I, there was no words exchanged. This was all energy, man. But God just kind of said, you're forgiven. Do you don't need this, but I'm going to give it to you. I love you. You are perfect the way you are. So it's really cool that, that for, forgiveness piece of it, because to give and receive is kind of the same thing in heaven. You giving forgiveness, you're getting something pretty big in return, and it, and it sounds like you did, which is awesome.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I, I mean that. I don't like you said. I don't know if it's for everyone, but I think it can help a lot of people. And one thing I want to touch on as we're winding down on time a little bit is that I think a lot of people who may be curious or you know trying to see whether they think even even if it's not ibogaine, some medicine may help them. How did you? How did your family receive it? Like, how do you feel like you? Um, have integrated that as a better husband or father like I think that might be a piece that if you explain it might be like man maybe I could come home and treat my kids better or my wife better How, how'd that unravel for you? Oh man
1: it, it could not have been so for half a second on the medicine I felt shitty like after I saw perfection and I re- received forgiveness I had a little bit of regret that it's taken me I, that I had to go through all of that and then that was gone because it was now I had a flash of regret, like, oh, my God, I've been that type of person. Boom, it was gone. And it replaced with, boom, you, now, this moment, man, and things are great. I think it really hit me when I went to, uh, so Daniel Carcillo, for all the hockey fans out there, he's on our advisory board. Daniel Carcillo, two-time Stanley Cup champ, Chicago Blackhawk, horrific head trauma. His best friend on the Blackhawks was Steve Montador. uh, And that dude, 15, 16 concussions, team doctors. Hey, man, here's some Motrin. You're fine. He died at 35 in his sleep. And when they opened up his head, I mean, he was dead. Dead man walking. So Carcillo, he was another goon. You know, he was a fighter. He's like, "Uh uh-oh. He flew to Orlando to a brain center. And uh, they're like, dude, you're done. So he started psychedelics. He went and did ayahuasca. He's... So he, st- he started a couple companies, psychedelic companies to help athletes, right? So he and I are best friends because I'm I'm helping veterans. I bring him up because my wife and my kids are huge Blackhawks fans, right? So I'm I'm hanging out with Carcillo at the beach, kind of you know debriefing and stuff like that. And Susie's like, hey, I'm gonna pretend to bump into you at the beach, you know, so we can meet him. I'm like, he's a cool dude. Just come and you know. So <clears throat> we're sitting, you know, my wife and my three kids come and we're sitting there, and I'm still debriefing him on the medicine. And he stops, he's like, he looks over to them and he goes, how's your dad, you know, since the medicine? And it's interesting because in the time it took for that, those words to go across like the, the table we were sitting at, I had a little bit of fear. I'm like, oh my God. And nobody said anything. So I was even more scared. I'm like, oh my God. And leave it to my, my beautiful, brave daughter, Keely. She's like, He's better. And I was, I started crying. I'm like, oh my God, wow. Right. So it's had an incredible impact uh, on my family. Let me warn some folks though. This isn't a sexist comment, this is reality. Um, if you're married, boyfriend, girlfriend, ever, y- you need home support or maybe the other person, in my case, the female going first. Probably would have helped. Here's why. You know, 99.9% of my wife's trauma, unfortunately, is whiz-induced, right? So I get back from the medicine. I'm perfect. I'm forgiven. I'm clean. Piece of paper. Boom. And I remember I also debriefed my wife at the beach. Like a six-hour talk, man. It's so funny because when I replay that talk, I I can see her face sometimes looking at me like, the fuck is this guy talking about type of thing? Like what happened? Where, you know, I bring this up because, you know, the mission within broke it down in a three month, a three-month integration, right? Like the first 30 days, pink cloud phase, right? Like I'm standing in the yard hugging a tree, and Susie's like, What are you doing? I'm like, fucking tree's awesome, man. (laughs) You know, look at this stuff. The second 30 days kind of sucked. Right. I'm like, why is there a homeless guy right there? Somebody helped. Why is there war? Why are we, ca-? you know, it, it felt heavy. And then the, the last 30 days, I, I kind of found my happy place. But during that, my integration, my wife was like, you know, well, well, yay for you. <laughs> you know, yay. You're all fucking cleaned up. Yeah. God forgave you you know, yay for God, you know, I'm, I'm me. <laughs> so, uh, it was the integration. Uh, you know, y- you have to have a very supportive wingman or, or wing woman. So Susie, you know, I think three, four months after that, she went and sat with the medicine. She went down to the mission within, uh, with some Navy seal and Ranger spouses and stuff like that. And she, we've never, never been better. I've been with her since sophomore year in college, man. And this is the high point, of our lives but there was it, there was work uh there was a lot of work in, involved so that was a very long answer to your short question but to hear my kids who maybe in the past would have been afraid to tell me that you know i, I wasn't doing too good or it, it's it, i we've never been better i i've never felt like a better human father or husband now obviously i, I could still be a shit bag but I, I think i'm less less of a shit bag than than i was um but, yeah, the, the, the supported home, they definitely need to know what's going on. I mean, I think the Mission Within actually had like a kind of a briefing guide for spouses or, or significant others like, hey, you know, they're going to come back a little, a little different, and here's what to expect. So there, there are challenges. I, I think we, you and I have done a pretty good job during this brief to, to highlight those. This is not – it ain't magic or anything like that, but I guarantee you if you put in the work – you will see incredible uh, results. And it is, that's why we use the word work, because it is gonna be some work. This thing, the medicine is the most powerful, light and antiseptic, okay? And you gotta be ready for having a new kind of you. And if you, you, you kind of step back into some of your old shit, you, you, you're gonna struggle. But if, if you're willing to listen to the medicine or, or take uh, the lessons from it, man, you know knock on wood i i haven't seen any we've helped hundreds of of people so far i i can't even that should show you that it's almost none I, negative experience because it's funny because people talk like oh you know i did shrimps in college and it was awful i'm like duh where'd you do it you know like set and setting here folks um But people are always worried about like, oh, well, what if I have a dark whatever? I'm like, there is no such thing as dark, man. If you have a good guide and you do your brief, you're going to learn that anything that pops up that you feel is negative, how to navigate that. And when you actually lean into it, it disintegrates. Like when you shine a light on that shit and some traumas and stuff, you're like, that's actually not so bad type of thing. So I've never It's funny because when I was going, you know, doing the Ibogaine with Marcus and JJ and JT dude, I'm telling you halfway through the night, it sounded like a couple of those guys, you know, were getting, getting cut in half by a saw. And I'm like, what the fuck's going on? I'm like, oh my God. And I was sitting there in my own little cocoon with God. I'm like, are, are, are you going to punch me? What bad's going to happen here? And nothing happened to me obviously. But the next day I'm like, you guys, uh, y- you okay? And they're like, yeah, man, never better. I'm like, was that you last night making all the? What, what are you talking about, man? I'm like, uh, okay. So if, if you're kind of, quote, worried about some potential negative or darkness, that's the point of this. And if you lean into it, you put some light on it, ain't nothing that bad because I guarantee you you're hanging out on the medicine with something that's with the thing, and that, and that thing doesn't want anything bad uh, to happen to you. So it's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. There's, you know, I don't tell anybody that it's super gentle or easy. There was a ceremony that I had where I was like stiff and like literally convulsing for, I would say, three hours straight. Mm -hmm. Like every time the music changed to a certain thing, like when the music Mm -hmm. would settle, I would settle and then the Mm -hmm. music would come back on and I'd just be like. And I, I, I personally felt like it was like, I didn't have anything like powerful come up. It felt like past life trauma or something. There was something oh, deep wow. going on in that nothing. Cause I had already done some ceremonies. So not a lot came up in my immediate life. I was felt like it was like some, something I was holding on. Like I had peeled mm-hmm. back some layers of the onion through my first few ceremonies. And then I got into like this whole otherworldly almost type of healing. And I was mm-hmm. just shaking and convulsing for three hours. It was kind of Luckily, I knew that that could happen. I had heard Tim Ferris talk about it on a podcast. I was just—I had done breath work and a lot of yoga and meditation. I was just breathing through it, and I just just kind of went with it. But if you don't know that that's a thing or that could be a potential side effect, you might have a lot of anxiety and freak out. So you really want to do a lot of you know deep work, like you know a lot of podcasts. Like I have a bunch on psychedelics. I mean, go go deeper than that. Tim Ferris has about a million. He's really good at like breaking the whole thing down and, you know, talking about it really, you know, in a way that's not really spiritual or woo woo, but really like, you know, analytical and breaking it down. So I love Tim Ferriss. He's kind of got me into it, trying it all, honestly, because it made sense. I was like, okay, this guy's successful, smart, really educated. Yep. And he can break it down in a way that makes sense with the right guest on. So, you know, look yeah. up some stuff like that. But, yeah, I know we're running short on time. Let's talk a little bit just about not, uh, No Fallen Heroes before you get off. That's your nonprofit. I know you said people can, if they donate a bigger chunk of money, you'll take them flying. But what what's all in the works for No Fallen Heroes?
1: Yeah, so No Fallen Heroes, we provide healing grants for veterans, first responders, and their families. You know, most veterans, uh, when they get out, or many veterans, take off one uniform and they put on another uniform so they didn't get rid of their military trauma and now they're you know serving their their state or their county or their city so we, we provide those healing grants for first responders as well and also their families families serve right I, I mean they maybe even suffer a little bit more than folks out there uh, for deployed the wives or husbands on the home front with the kids and the and the stress so we provide healing grants uh, because healing should be free Uh, my number one mission objective with the no fallen heroes foundation is to be gone. I don't want the no fallen heroes foundation. This should be the job of the VA uh, transitioning uh, and helping out hurt veterans. I'm an anti big government guy, but the VA is a behemoth of horrificness and a, and a shit show man for, you know, a, a, a fraction of their budget. They could be saving so many veterans right now. Now, there, there's VA studies on psilocybin. They're, they're getting there. It ain't quick enough, in my opinion. It, you know, It depends on the number you're going to use. You use the government number. You use 17. Approximately 17 veterans take their own lives every day. Last November, a couple small community colleges, right, Duke University and the University of Alabama, uh, did a study. They took Uncle Sam's numbers, and they actually looked into them, and they found closer to 40 four veterans kill themselves every day. Why? Cuz Uncle Sam was only counting like violent suicides, like guy puts a bullet in his head. They weren't when they when University of Alabama and Duke dug into these numbers, when they look, went and talked to people, it's like, no, he drank himself to death or he overdosed, he did drugs and killed himself. Uncle Sam wouldn't count those. So, of course, Uncle Sam's not going to have a press conference that day like, "Hey, the number's closer to four It's all quiet, man. Right? Cuz First of all, we have a recruiting crisis going on, right? There's Other than the Marine Corps, there's not one service that has made the recruiting goals in years. You know why? The number one source of new recruits are who? Us, veterans, our kids, right? We go, hey, I served, you should serve too. We ain't wanting our kids to serve because like you started uh, with at the beginning of the podcast, the forever wars. And we also don't want them to serve because we see how the VA treats us when we leave. So we are having a massive uh, recruiting crisis at this point. So no fallen heroes. Uh, Like I said, we currently, uh, we use the Mission Within in Mexico. We use Awaken Your Soul down in Costa Rica. And then we're uh, hopefully this month, well, September uh, or October, we're going to go out to the Do Good Ranch uh, in Colorado another NHL star his name's Kyle Quincy uh, he set up to do a good ranch up in the mountains of Colorado for veterans and first responders uh, to go uh, do the medicine so we budget to send a vet or first responder or family member to Mexico or Costa Rica five grand which is a lot of money hell it's a lot of money if you have a lot of money but for, for a veteran or first responder who ain't doing too good that's, that's kind of cost prohibitive. So that's why we provide these grants. So if you can go to nofallenheroes.com, hell man, five bucks, ten bucks, all that adds up. We try and provide the airfare. We try and take the money out of this so the veteran can f- focus on their healing. So if you, could, you can go there and throw a couple shekels at our foundation. It, it goes direct. I don't take a salary. I, I have my own financial company I do. This is truly a, a nonprofit where uh, the money goes to the veterans. I don't need it. Uh, but the veterans, uh, the veterans do. So we're, we're really excited. We're growing. Um, but like I said, my mission objective is three to five years from now, no fallen heroes, uh, does not exist anymore. Uh, we shouldn't be sending veterans to Mexico or Costa Rica. They should be able to, we should be healing our heroes at home. I mean, how about healing Americans in America? What a concept, right? These veterans incurred, Moral or physical or mental injuries, serving this nation, and they're leaving this nation to go get healing from those injuries. It it just, it it's very you know I, I namaste. <laughs> it, it gets so <laughs> frustrating to me sometimes, especially walking the halls of Congress. Right, I had an an appropriator, a congressman. I won't name him. When I was in Washington last month, I'm like, hey man for the price of 10 Abrams tanks that you're sending to Ukraine, we could heal, you know, a million veterans type of thing. He's like, "Don't, you, you know, don't talk like that, man. You you're going to upset uh, you upset you upset us appropriations folks. That's a different pot of money, it's a national security but I'm like, "Hey dude, I don't give a fuck what you call it up here in DC. We the people look at it as one pot of money, okay? So, it it it's coming. But it's funny that the, our leaders, quote, when you do that, because a ton of my veteran buddies are like, look at this shit, man, $100 billion to Ukraine, and they're denying my VA benefits. You tell somebody like that, well, it's a different pot of money, they're going to go ape shit, right? So uh, the, the, the other arm of No Fallen Heroes is me and some of our other folks going to D.C. and talking to lawmakers like, hey, man, we the people are pissed. You can call it different pots of money. We don't. Uh, and if you don't start listening to us, you're gone. The, the psychedelic movement at the federal level is definitely a we the people moment. They ain't leading. They're not going to they're not leading with this. It's going to take you, me, all of us to, to get this up for them uh, to change. But like I told the one guy, I'm like General Patton uh, said, lead, follow or get out of the way. Uh, and, and they ain't leading right now. No Fallen Heroes Foundation is is unfortunately leading, but I will I will follow or I will get out of the way when they finally wake up and, and start taking care of folks. And I, and you know, my foundation just helps obviously veterans, first responders and their families, but hey man, I wanna heal everybody. I, I, you know, this isn't, you know, if, if if Americans for whatever reason look up to veterans or look up to athletes like Daniel Carcillo, great. Then listen to us when we lead the way on this issue. Maybe, you know, mom and pop uh, out there, regular person going, all right, well this guy was a fighter pilot and. Marcus Luttrell and Navy SEAL and an NHL guy, maybe I'll listen to them uh, instead of listening to a senator or a congressman that get big checks from Big Farmer or Big Tobacco, you know, or, you know, the alcohol lobby. So that's the foundation. And like I said, if you can go to NoFallenHeroes.com and, uh, and support, we'd, we'd love it. Or jump on our Instagram account, NoFallenHeroes, uh, and share our content, just getting the word out there is part of our mission objective as well doing podcasts uh, like this as much as much talking as I can do about this issue and share my experience I think that's uh, starting to change the narrative as well you know
0: awesome well thank you so much Wiz for doing the show you killed it Um, I love what you guys are doing I definitely um, it's right up my alley you know I don't know if the one program we were all kind of connected on is going to go through but I still think you're fighting the good fight so keep up the good work Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. God bless. You too. If you enjoy this show, would you please take a second to subscribe, rate, and review it for me? Also, if you'd like to know more information about Combo, personalized one-on-one coaching with me, or for upcoming retreat information, which I host with my wife, please visit my website in the show notes or DM me on Instagram. My handle over there is at Integrative Matt. Until next time, my friends.